Father, we pray that um, you would hear our prayers, that, that first of all, when we come before you, uh, we don't do so in our own merits or in our own strengths, but by faith alone in Christ alone, we come before you with the righteousness of Jesus that covers, that covers us, that covers our account, Father. And um, Lord, we just give you praise for Miss Jimmy, and we thank you for her life. We thank you for her witness. And what we pray, Lord, is that um, as she just kind of makes that progress, uh, with her body, that she would be reminded of that truth that we have in 1 Corinthians 15 as Christians, which is the fact that since your son has risen, in fact, we know that he intercedes for us at your right hand, God, that one day we too will receive glorified, resurrected bodies, that one day uh, she will not have to suffer on the side of eternity, but we have that great hope of the resurrection uh, to come. And Lord, we do pray for Leslie. We pray that you would just help him with his collarbone issues, um, we're, we're thankful that in your grace, that, that, that in your sovereign grace, that you protected him. And uh, Lord, what we pray is that as he recovers um, from this uh, broken collarbone, is that he would consider spiritual things, and that he would consider his state before you and his growth in you. And um, Lord, what we do pray is that as we consider a weighty lesson like discontentment, something that every single one of us in this room have struggled with, Lord, what we pray is that we would think about discontentment biblically and find strategic ways biblically on how to love other church members and to spur uh, one another into godliness. And Lord, we just pray that um, we would be transparent in this room and also humble and that we would just all position ourselves under the authority of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Discontentment is something that we all struggle with. Uh, one time or another. I mean, I know a guy, I guess from, I don't know, seventh grade, had his first job, sen uh, senior year of high school, so 2010, which I'm getting old for sure, but to 2010 up until this point, we're, we're, we're discontent with so many different things in our life. And so one area that Sometimes people are discontent with it is their jobs. So I know personally, one of my friends up until that point, 2010 until now, on his resume has over 18 jobs. And so we can be discontent with a variety of, uh, of things. But one thing that we're often discontent with uh, and that can be often pressing and difficult uh, is the local church. And we've all been there. So raise your hand if you've been a part of a perfect church. That's right. Because if we did raise our hands, we would be fundamentally the problem um, because we were in it. So um, it's those who love the church the most, right? And, and, and it's the church that often hurts us. It's the group for which we have the highest expectations, that group being the body of Christ, which has often let us down the most for whatever reason. I wonder if you can recall the last time that you were deeply disappointed by another church member either in this church or maybe it was a previous church that you were a part of. Or think about the last time you felt that the church specifically had let you down. Maybe it had been months since you joined a church and you felt like you were simply, rather than a church member, an outsider. Or maybe the congregation was unconcerned, I think we've all been here, was unconcerned about a particular priority that mattered a lot to you. Difficulties like these so easily lead or can lead to discontentment. And how we respond to discontentment can be a great enemy or a great sense of unity in a church. Or it can be uh, also an incredible force for good. So in a moment, we'll, uh, we're going to talk about how discontentment can arise in the local church, those possibilities, okay, the potential. And at the very beginning, I'd love to hear your thoughts on discontentment, on how it can be damaging. Because we've all been there and a lot of you have lived a lot more life than I have. So what are some ways that our response to discontentment can harm unity in the church? Gossip. That's right. Deadly. Deadly poison. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so instead of building up saints, we we create haters. Okay. Mm. 
unwilling to forgive. And we've all seen that, haven't we? At one point or another in a church that we've been a part of, or even now, and sadly so, even from, our, even from ourselves, including myself. Here's... Mm. That's right. It demotivates us from service. That's a great answer. How can a good response to disappointment strengthen the church? Good. Okay. Forgiveness sets an example, encourages others. Great answer. Okay. So like all adversity, we know that God gives us the grace to work through discontentment. He always does. And he intends it in giving us that grace to work through it, to serve his glory and ultimately for our good. So how we can promote unity when we encounter discontentment in the church is what we're going to be considering today this morning, okay? This morning, we're not going to address how we should respond to clear sin in the church. That's probably going to be, if I'm not mistaken, not next week, but the next in regards to church discipline. And Lord willing, that's what we're going to be considering. But uh, this class is also not going to be addressing it from the lens of church leadership, which will also be addressed, which I think is next Sunday. Um, In this equipping class, we're just going to respond to various aspects of discontentment, how we can deal with that biblically, and um, just really as a local church. So... I do think it's worth pointing out, though, that discontentment isn't always bad. Okay? It's not always bad, and so it's not always sinful. Maybe we've been disappointed in a church because we don't believe they give to an area like too much like in regards to missions or uh, evangelism team or something like that. Or the leadership isn't as active in a ministry that you want to be heavily involved in. I know I've been there. That could be godly discontentment. Okay? But we still can respond in a way that damages the church if we're not careful. So let's pray. Lord, help us be equipped as this church, as saints gathered together at UBC um, for the work of unity in the spirit and the bond of, te- uh, in the bond of peace. Father, discontentment is something that we all struggle with in one way or the other. And Lord, we're just asking for your grace and we're asking for clarity in your word Uh, just to shine through our hearts in such a way that we learn to be content and to just, again, spur one another into godliness and and push one another into Christ-like conformity rather than anchoring our souls in something that's damaging to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in what ways can discontentment affect church unity, in your opinion? Kind of seems a little redundant, but seriously... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. We often could take the form of conspiracy theorists, you know, once we view, you know, leadership in that way. I mean, I, I know of churches, you know, it's all often a running joke, you know, in Baptist churches, but where I'm from in southeast Arkansas, I literally know of a church that split over carpet. Serious. Discontentment with carpet. Sounds like a very good autobiography, but anyways. So what we're going to be looking at, to, uh, looking at this, the first thing is bitter fruit, bitter fruit, from poor response to discontentment. Bitter fruit from poor response to discontentment. So I think it's helpful right off the bat to just kind of really define in a simplistic way what discontentment is. And it's a longing for something better than the present situation. A longing for something better than the present situation. So again, there may be godly discontentment. We know for a fact that this world, for example, it's broken by sin, and it should be better. And Lord willing, one day, new heavens, new earth, it's going to be better. But there also can be sinful discontentment, where we refuse to trust God's goodness and extend gratitude for his provision, but instead demand more than he has ordained. Demand more than he's ordained. Also, if our discontentment is godly, we can still put our hope in circumstances instead of in God, 
to make it better. And discontentment, even when spurred by godly desires, can bear bitter fruit if we respond in the wrong way. And again, we all have. All right, this is a we thing. So let's look at the three ways in which discontentment, if not properly handled, can harm the witness of the church. The first thing is that discontentment can lead to complaining and grumbling. Complaining and grumbling. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Paul writes this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So Paul is very clear. Don't complain. Don't grumble in anything. It says, do all things without. That's what Scripture says. So part of the way in which our witness should be compelling to the world, again, we are the local church, watching world, looking in. That's one of the most compelling things that we could do as a church is to not grumble and complain about all things. Again, James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When we don't properly address discontentment, or biblically, rather, address discontentment, and it leads to grumbling, what potentially can arise is that we damage one of the characteristics that makes us distinct as Christians. And so, therefore, we could potentially harm the church's witness, our evangelistic fervor even. Number two, discontentment can lead to discord. Discontentment can lead to discord. When we're unhappy with something, (laughs) I mean, uh, man, this hits home. When we're unhappy about something, we often want to talk about it. We do. We criticize. We rally support trying to get people to see things from our point of view. And no matter the virtue of our initial concern, this type of behavior can quickly cause factions and dissension within the church. I mean, think about it. in Galatians 5.20, that's something the Apostle Paul lists alongside sins like idolatry and fits of rage and witchcraft when he writes about the sinful nature in Galatians 5.20. We must be careful, church, to address discontentment because of the discord it can produce. And then number three, discontentment distracts from what really matters. Discontentment distracts from what really matters. As individuals and as a church, our charge, according to Ephesians 5, verse 16, our charge is to make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. Discontentment consumes our time and our attention. It often saps our energy. It monopolizes the time and attention of our brothers and sisters, our elders and staff, And it can honestly distract from what really matters at the end of the day. This is some of the bitter fruit that discontentment can bear in our life together as a church. But remember, discontentment can also strengthen us as well. When we respond in a way that is godly, when we submit to each other for the sake of Christ and do the hard work of love, we bring great glory to our sovereign, gracious, kind God. We show that our unity doesn't rest on perfect agreement. Or compatible personalities. Trust me, very few of those here, okay? But it shares on satisfaction and shared hope in Christ. And so we have everything in common with one another because of what we have in the gospel. To see that in action, let's think about ways that we can address discontentment in a God-glorifying manner, which is Roman numeral three in your handout. Addressing discontentment in general. Addressing discontentment. So how should we address contentment? What do you think? How do we address discontentment? Pray. Great answer. You just took over half the manuscript, so that's good. Good. Pray. Ask for forgiveness. That's right. Okay. Check your attitude. I love that. I could quote you on Twitter. Check that attitude. There you go. Leave it at the front door. What else? Mm, very good. 
Pray for understanding. Discernment. So I'm going to offer four suggestions. Those are all really good. They're all right. And it's not a to-do list. It's not a formula. As with any other area in the Christian life, what we ultimately need is not a list of action steps, but to understand how the gospel of God's grace transforms us in the way that we respond to discontentment. We want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm to be content. So here are four ways, and then we're going to apply the good news of God's patience towards us in Christ so that we, by a spirit and strength, might be patient with one another. So the first thing, again, right on the money over here, pray for God's mercy. Pray for God's mercy. That's first and foremost. The gospel tells us that we are absolutely unable to do anything of our value in our own strength. And that even includes responding to discontentment because apart from Christ, we're spiritually bankrupt. Remember uh, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So our, our first guideline is to pray. is to commune with the Father in Christ by the Spirit. It's to cry out for God's mercy because we can never address discontentment in our own power, in our own strength. When something about the church or someone in the church rubs you along the way, and if it hasn't, it will, okay? You're about to enter into something far greater than you could ever imagine, which is a spiritual battle. Satan wants to destroy you. That's his intent. With bitterness, with pride, revenge. We can justify giving into temptation when we feel that we are in the right. So when you encounter discontentment, my encouragement to you is just simply to pray. You're waging a war that you can't win on your own. It's impossible. Pray that God would give you discernment and wisdom through his word. Pray that God would identify any sinful desires in your heart and to replace them with godly desires. Again, That differentiating, that contrast that Paul sets up in Galatians 5, works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. Pray that God would help in your life bear fruit of the Spirit. Pray that He would fuel your heart with the love of Jesus Christ towards one another. We would honor God, church, far more if we tried to fix things ourselves less often and spent more time in desperation and pleading before God for His mercy. The next thing is this, examine your desires. Confess and repent of those that are sinful. Examine your desires. Confess and repent of those that are sinful. So that's what we're going to look at. Second is to examine your own heart to understand the desires at the root of the discontentment that you're producing. So where is their sin that we must confess? That's the question. Where are their desires that should be satisfied in Christ but that we're wrongly seeking to satisfy in comfort or in the respect of others. Again, James writes in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. James really gets it, doesn't he? James gets right to the connection between discontentment and our circumstances. We often feel discontent because we put our hope not in the one true God who is sovereign over our circumstances, but rather we put our trust in the circumstances themselves. Circumstances, we all know this, they change. They always do. But God, in his character, never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. So if there is a fight or a quarrel, whether it's in leadership, whether it's in the church broadly, universally, or even in the local church, then there are ungodly desires in your heart to be dealt with because those ungodly desires keep you from Christ-like conformity. For example, maybe you're unhappy Because some people are better friends with a particular member than you are. How do I know that? Well, 
We have so many young men who aspire to the office of, the, uh, of elder or overseer or pastor. They forget that there's a plurality of elders. For example, we, we, there's two right now. Gaddy, Howard, Wes, you know, if he's not in New Mexico right now, which, by the way, he's at a wedding. But anyways, in forgetting that we have a plurality of elders, everyone who aspires to that office for some reason or another absolutely wants to be best friends with Brad, right? It, it's just adamant, okay? Well, what's at the root of something like that in regards to discontentment? It is because that you feel such a friendship conveys a special status that you covet. It is because potentially you're jealous of a friendship that seems so close that you just don't have. So my encouragement is just ask God to identify in his spirit, ask him to identify sin in your life and confess it as sin. Confess it to one another. Think hard about the root problem of that. What are the desires behind the emotions that you convey in your discontentment? Are you putting your hope in people's approval rather than in Christ's provision for you? The gospel declares that God's approval of you in Christ has always been and is sufficient. Are you frustrated that seemingly no one in the church understands your struggles or your desires to be heard? The gospel declares, though, that God sees you, that God knows you, that God forgives you in Christ, and He guides you? Are you discontent because you feel that you deserve better treatment than you've received? Remember the gospel's call to lay your life down and your rights for the sake of Christ. So that's guideline number two. Examine your desires, consider the root problem of that discontentment, and ultimately repent. That is to turn away from your sins, turn in faith to Christ. Thirdly, it's a really good one. See, uh, see other believers the way God does. See other believers the way God does. We should strive to see the church in every way, or everyone in the way that he does. That means that we should view others through the lenses of love, not disappointment, or as you were talking about, suspicion. Again, the gospel is crucial here. It reminds us that in Christ, God has lavished his riches of forgiveness on us in spite of our sin. And as we grow in the understanding of the depth of his grace and our hearts are filled with gratitude, we can begin to see others in the way that he sees them. And how does he see, the, see his, his children who have trusted in him in faith? As treasured saints who he washed and cleansed and renewed. They're not our enemies, but are our siblings in Christ. You've got more in common with the people in this room, potentially, than your own blood who doesn't know Christ. I mean, what a sobering reminder. The people around you in this room, and as you walk out into the main hall, main hall for our corporate gathering, they are not your enemies. They are your family. Yes, they may misunderstand us, let us down, frustrate us, and disappoint us. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, church, God doesn't give up on them or withdraw from them, and so we shouldn't either. So, how do we grow in viewing others from God's vantage point? How do we grow in viewing others from God's vantage point? Okay, here are a few thoughts. First, and again, it's been, repeat, it's been stated earlier, certainly deserves being repeated. The first thing that we should do is pray for others and serve them or love them in concrete ways. So, pray for others, serve them in concrete ways. When you're unhappy with someone in the church, Pray for that person rather than grabbing the phone, dialing it, or doing an angry Facebook status, okay? Pray for them. Pray that God would prosper their desire for him. Pray that God would help you understand the worth that they bear as his children and express that concern. I know it seems wild, but this is true. Like express, express it in forms of service to them. Send them an encouraging email or provide for a physical need. Choosing to love someone at an extremely practical level can be one of the best ways to soften our hearts in the midst of discontentment. Now, you might be thinking, well, if my heart is saying negative things while I'm saying encouraging things externally or outside, isn't that a form of hypocrisy? I mean, why would I do that? Well, I really don't think so. Disciplining yourself to work toward the good of another, considering their Christ-like conformity, their sanctification, 
even when your feelings incline elsewhere, is part of what it means to persevere in the love of God in Christ. And God can use that action, that form of service, then to warm our hearts to gain the affection that is lacking for them. Second, consider how much other people value to God. Okay? Consider how much other people value to God. Philippians 2, verse 3. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Why should you consider another church member as more significant than yourself? Is it because they are more capable, more godly? They have this like ultra religious status. No, it's because they are Christ's possession just like you. He has bought them. He has obtained them. He has laid his life down for them with his blood. They are precious in God's sight. Much selfish discontentment begins when we're, eleva- when we're elevating our worth and the importance over around us. So, for example, let's say that I'm impatient because there are some people who never volunteer for anything at church. Right? I mean, that's a potential thing. And my attitude is, well, how dare they consider their time more valuable than my time? I mean, I'm busy, I'm on the grind, and I still serve, so why can't they? I would do well, I suspect, to refocus my concern away from the value of my time and toward the value of those Christians. Christ, again, gave his life for them the ones that we grumble about, the ones that we complain about, the one where we last, you know, what have they done for me? I may still talk with them about how serving in the church is a good thing, and I think we should. But for their own sake and for the sake of the body, and yet, Lord willing, hopefully my motivation in doing that is love. Fourth, speak in love. Speak in love. How you choose to share the specifics of your discontentment with others affects whether that discontentment spreads or subsides. Again, how you choose to share the specifics of your discontentment with others affects whether that discontentment spreads or subsides. So what you should talk about and how you should talk about it, right? Those are the things you need to consider. Here's a few suggestions. Number one, It's a good practice to work through these things that we've talked about so far. And we've talked about it in the ways of prayer, examining our desires, the root of of really that discontentment, repenting of those sins, seeing others in the way that God sees them before you speak in regards to an area of unhappiness. But here's the question. Are you wanting to either confess sin or or collaborate to encourage the church? If your conversation doesn't fall into one of those two areas, confessing your sin or finding ways to encourage one another in the church, if it doesn't fall in those two categories, then it could be in danger, you could be in in danger of complaining and grumbling against your brothers and sisters, potentially. When you think it's good to talk with someone, my encouragement to you, a second thing is to talk constructively. Talk constructively about how you two, if it's just two people talking on the phone, for example, how you two can better serve the church. How you two can better serve the church. Simply using a conversation to let off steam, which we all have, or to seek affirmation of your discontentment will likely spread discontentment. So the temptation to sin in anger can be quite strong and something against we should guard ourselves as Christians. Number, number three, recognize your responsibility as a church member. Now, we'll certainly, Lord willing, talk about that in a couple of weeks in regards to church discipline and some other matters, but here, listen to what Jesus says. So this is in Matthew chapter 18. Let's just go ahead and turn our Bibles to that. I think that'd be very helpful, actually. Matthew chapter 18. And really, I want to focus on the first step, though there is a list of steps, and I would encourage you to look at that um, on your own time. But Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, okay, brother and sister, sin against you, go and tell him his fault 
between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So that's the first step, friends. That's your responsibility, really, as a church. In the initial first step in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if you know someone to be in sin, discontentment and so forth, you go to that person rather than getting on a megaphone. With very few exceptions, if you're talking with anyone else about that sin, then you are potentially acting as a gossip and as a slanderer. The complaining person to talk with the offending person, that's what we're supposed to be doing directly. And that's how things should work in the church because God has laid them out in his word. So fourth thing, very striking. Be careful how you speak about the issue publicly. Be careful about how you speak, uh, speak about the issue publicly. Some things in the church are unclear and unimportant. Others are important and clear. And that's why you need under shepherds and elders, a plurality of them. If something is both important and clear, kind of thinking the, the authority of Scripture, the divinity of Christ, then speaking publicly which is saying in a member's meeting, for example, uh, even if it's against elders who are promoting like a false gospel, that can be a good thing, actually. And it's your responsibility as a church. Of course, I think you do want to get counsel on this ahead of time from gospel-loving elders and other leaders in, in whom you respect inside the church. But if it's not in that category of clear, serious, demonstrable sin then you probably shouldn't speak publicly on a megaphone or through a social media app against the leadership of elders. And instead, my encouragement to you is to register your thoughts with the elders privately, which means email them. All right, There's an email in your church membership directory, and, and I, I mean, the elders encourage you to email them if there is some serious sin or if there is some discontentment that you're producing. They want to hear from you as church members to see how they can further spur you into godliness and push you into Christ-like conformity. Or here's another thing, because I know uh, there, there are some elders, even in this room, that are more than willing. Grab coffee with them sometime. If there's something that's frustrating you that could potentially harm your fellowship with one another, just grab coffee with them. Ask questions. Ask for clarity. And they're more than happy to do that. And so, again, that's why we have a plurality of elders, not just one. So, again, four guidelines for addressing discontentment. Pray. Understand your desires, repent of what is sin, see others as God sees them, and speak in love. Before we move forward, do we have any questions or any thoughts? Anything that would be helpful even pertaining to this discussion? Or maybe there, there's, there's a story in which you've experienced discontentment and how God brought you out of that. right so you know really what howard's even saying as well uh, is a living example of what my preaching professor told me at uh, mid-america in cordova tennessee dr timothy seal he's no longer there but uh great great brother and it was in our counseling course and this was when he was a pastor in um near gulf shores alabama and there was i guess uh, just you know um a seasoned saint just a lady struggling with discontentment talking about you know, the sins of another person rather than going uh, to that other woman in the church. And Dr. Sill tells this lady, he's like, well, Miss Susie, let, let's, go, let's go talk to, um, I forget her name, but we'll just say it's like Emily. Susie, let's go talk to Emily, right? It seems like you haven't talked, uh, talked with her about it. And that is a great way for gossip to decrease in the church because immediately <laughs> this lady's response to Dr. Sill is like, I'm good. I think we're good. Our friendship's great, actually. 
again, it bears repeating. If your brother sins against you, it doesn't say go and grab all these elders or all these other leaders immediately. It says go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, which by the way is what you should be praying for, listening ears in both parties, understanding, hopefully that there can be an agreement in Christ. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. It's a good word, Howard. Good word. Any other questions or comments? Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And I think also what you did very well in your response is like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going, you're, you're, you're exhibiting like a huge amount of patience and grace and love. And so, um, great word, great word. Okay. <laughs> no, it's interesting you say that because, uh, because often it's what I struggle with, right? I, I walk past someone in the main hall, then it's like, Colby, what's up? How you doing? And I'm like, uh, what did I do? You know what I mean? And, and it's often, there have been times, seriously, where there was something like, like a, a crisis in that person's life. There was something going on in that person's life. They're like, I didn't think anything about it, you know? But uh, the vain imagination, you know, that, yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's a good word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so like careful thought in that process to, did I sin, did I not sin? And, and, and inviting people, you know, my, also an encouragement to you is to, to have a brother and sister in your life who doesn't always agree with you and doesn't think you're the best thing since sweet tea. Prime example of that for me is Danny Wright. I promise you, if you're friends with Danny Wright, he's not going to think you're the best thing since sweet tea. That's my encouragement to you. Have friends who can speak into that. You know what I mean? Like, is this prevalent is this something going on in your life is this something characteristic of you and if so you it's likely that it is and to repent of that to recognize that but yeah that's a good word all right so in our remaining time together all great all great feedback all great wisdom i'd like to give just kind of more practical fleshing out and discussing how we should address three common situations in the church that cause discontentment and potentially we've all thought these things or combined them all at the same time, or at least we've known people who have said such things. So uh, the first thing is this, the church isn't meeting my needs. The church isn't meeting my needs. So one specific area of discontentment that we can often feel in the church is that the church isn't meeting my personal needs or wish list. However common this might be, we need to recognize it is for what it is, a selfish demand 
that the church serve me. Selfish demand that the church serves me. We must remind ourselves of that sobering question, church. Why does the church exist? It's not ultimately to surround us with social relationships in which we find fulfillment, which friendships in Christ are a good thing. Its ultimate purpose is to glorify God by showing His power in a diverse community of united, loving believers. I'll say that again. The church's ultimate purpose is to glorify God by showing off His power in a diverse community of united, loving believers. So to fight this form of discontentment, we need to learn that we are not the most important person. God is. The church does not revolve around me. It revolves around God. Second thing, the church has disappointed my expectations for fellowship and growth. So disappointment. We might desire to serve the church selflessly, but still feel a lingering disappointment with the way, the way that things are in the church. Right? It could be a thing like a lack of fellowship, a feeling that you don't belong. And some, some people feel the weight of that for sure. Or maybe there's a lack of growth. Maybe you've been a member of this church for several months and you're finding it difficult to make good friends. That's a reality for many of the church members here. And I don't want to down, uh, downsize that or decrease that, whatever. So maybe you want to serve, but no one seems to recognize it. Or you can't serve in the way that you feel that you are most gifted. Maybe you're frustrated with the dating culture in the church. Maybe. Well, how do we deal with that? It's a lot to consider. Well, following the, the, the pattern that we established earlier and that you said wonderfully, we need to approach, approach situations like this in prayer. We need to. We should search our hearts and determine whether these feelings stem, stem from selfish or ungodly desires. We should ask hard, hard questions. Are there things I need to do differently to experience better fellowship in the church or to take advantage of opportunities to grow? I think one way that you could probably strengthen that fellowship in the church is as, as you pray through the membership directory, right? Contact that person. Text that person. Call that person and say, hey, I've been praying for you this week. Are there any, is there anything else I can be doing for you? What ways can I serve you? So a great tool to strengthen that fellowship that you think you may be lacking is the second most important book that Brad talks about, and I've heard Wes talk about, Howard and so forth. It's the membership directory outside of Scripture. We should ask that of ourselves and of others that we know and trust to receive counsel and input, and then we should pursue appropriate action steps that might involve talking to a pastor or pastors to get their thoughts on what you should do if you're struggling to make relationships, I can say that there, again, are likely many people in the same boat as you. So my encouragement to you is to take the initiative to reach out to them. Well, you may say to yourself, maybe I don't know who that is. My, my encouragement to you is be a part of a life group, right? Be honest, be transparent in those conversations and pray through that directory, reaching out to them. Be a friend of them. God can satisfy your good desires, but he sometimes does so in a way that differently than we have planned. So be ready for God to answer your prayers in surprising ways. Much of what this battle entails is training our minds to understand the many benefits and blessings that God has in His kindness given us in the church. As we are crying out for something else, there is this growing pile of blessings arising up over us that we often choose to ignore. Pray that God would train all of us here this morning to see all of the blessings that he has given us in the church and that in considering all the blessings, we consider the greatest blessing being the blesser himself. When we consider that truth, that it will affect our hearts and our attitudes when we're considering discontentment in our own life or in the lives of others. And that said, there may be a time when you find that a particular church, despite its grounding and love, for God's word, that it isn't a place where you're growing spiritually, okay? What should you do? Should you immediately jump ship? Should you have, like my friend, instead of 18 jobs on your resume, 18 churches? <laughs> it's a true story. It's so funny when you think about it. But anyways, my encouragement to you is talk to others around you 
after you have prayed and confessed any sin. Let the elders know, seek wisdom and counsel from them, those who are under shepherding you, under the good shepherd. The last thing that you should do, and we've all been there potentially, is to decide on your own that you need a different church. That's what I did. I'm, I'm serious. When I, when I was a kid, before I came to know Christ, I was a missionary free will, then Southern Baptist. I've been Baptist out, okay? I mean, wow. The last thing that you need to do is to decide on your own that you need a different church, only to discover the same root issues coming up in your new church home or that which you have with this church home. When you do talk to someone, remember to be careful how you discuss that discontentment with them and don't let it become a cause for discord within the larger body of Christ, the church. Thirdly, and lastly, maybe there's just this. I dislike this person. <laughs> Another cause for discontentment is that you simply just don't like the person. All right? Maybe it's an issue of envy, rivalry. Maybe you resent the blessings that God has lavished on someone else. God forbid. Or maybe it's a basic feeling, and I often think it's this probably, a basic feeling of just discomfort. Someone behaves in a way that is radically different from what you're accustomed to in your social comfort bubble. Okay? Or someone works for an organization or a political party that you loathe and you hate and you consider that thing a hill to die on. How do you work through discontentment in areas like this? Well, again, follow the, the pattern that we've already established that deserves being repeated again. Pray that God would change your heart. Confess any sin to God and seek his forgiveness in Christ. Recognize that a desire to not love someone is sin and it's not something that we can brush aside as mere incompatibility, if you will. Learn to pray for people whom you dislike. That's my encouragement to you. If you find yourself in discontentment, pray for that person and pray for your heart. That God would bless them and mature them, which will increase your affections for them rather than bitterness. Consider that these individuals, though broken and imperfect today, are being transformed into Christ's likeness with an ever-increasing glory. Loving those whom we find uncomfortable is not easy. But as members of a church, it is hugely important because it's through those types of relationships that God is most glorified. So in conclusion, at the root of discontentment, it's the idea of things that would be better if some person or situation would just simply change. That is precisely why we must put our hope in God and not in our circumstances. It's a grave mistake to do the latter. So praise, that God, so praise God that we don't have to cling to the weak and temporary hopes of this world. He, in fact, has given us himself as our anchor, our very anchor. He is sovereign over the circumstances in which we are not to be trusting in. He was sovereign when Noah was being mocked, when Joseph was in the pit, when Israel was in slavery, when David was being hunted, and when Christ, his only begotten, was on the cross for you and me. His goodness, rather than our own, always prevails, and it's in him alone that we can find the joy of true contentment. So my encouragement to you is to pray, repent of those desires, recognize and see other people in the way that God sees them, love them well, and rather than experiencing discontentment, pray that God would change your affections and set them upon church members to do one another, love them well. Consider that. That's another practical way, church. I didn't write that down, but like those do one another passages, kind of thinking of the letters of John, consider that. Those do one another passages, pray through those. If you find someone that you can, you know, their face is immediately popping up with their name and so forth, like pray through those do one another passages, and I promise you it will change your heart. All right, so we got a little time. Do we have any questions or comments? Great feedback, by the way. I mean, seriously, amazing feedback. Mm-hmm.
That's right. Because they're connected. That's right. It's a good word. Worshiping God rightly will cause you to serve others rightly and that discontentment will decrease in your life. It's a good word. Right. Praise God. true good word what an epic class this morning i mean this was good anyone else ready we close this in prayer